This episode of the Unbuild It podcast is brought to you by Huber Engineered Wood, makers of Advantex subfloor assembly products. Engineered with long-lasting strength, moisture resistance, and nail-holding power, Advantech subfloor is the brand builder's trust for quality subfloor. Combine the strength and moisture resistance of Advantech panels with the bonding power of Advantech subfloor adhesive for a solid, even subfloor assembly, perfect for a variety of floor applications. Follow along with builders and their bringing their A-game campaign on the Advantech subflooring YouTube channel at Huberwood on Instagram and their new website, visit AdvantechAgame.com. Thank you, Huber Engineered Woods. This week's episode of the Unbuild It podcast is also sponsored by the Midwest Building Science Symposium. The Kansas City BS and Beer Group is hosting Steve Basic and myself, Jake Bruton, for a one-day seminar on building science, control layers, and constructible details in Kansas City, Missouri, September 16th, 2020. We hope to see you there. It's a free event. Uh, thanks to all the sponsors of the event, uh, we're trying to make this accessible content. So all you have to do is go to bsnbeerkc.org and find the Midwest Building Science Symposium link and you may register for free there. So we hope to see you in Kansas City. Welcome back to the Unbuild It podcast. Before we start the show today, I had a couple bookkeeping things I wanted to get out of the way. I'm Jake Bruton, and I wanted to let you know that you can contact us through our website, theunbuilditpodcast.com. You can send us an email to questions at unbuilditpodcast.com. You can find Steve Basic on Instagram. It's Steve Basic Architect, Stephen Basic Architect on Instagram. Peter is building right Peter on Instagram with a W and I am Jake. Ah, yes. With a, with a W, uh, and, uh, Jake dot Bruton on Instagram. And please go to iTunes, leave us a five star review and write a review. If you really want us to know how you feel, please. Nice things only. We get enough flack off of each other. <laughs> That's right. We don't, we don't need it from you guys too. So, I wanted to let those things go today, and completely off topic, this is totally, we didn't discuss this while I was doing that little ad read, uh, the rock quarry around the corner from my house blasted, and I don't know if you could hear it on the microphone, but I had this conversation with a neighbor yesterday, and he was like, did you hear that? It sounded like an earthquake at noon, and I was like, yeah, you're just not home during the day normally. <laughs> it's quarantine, so you're home. They do that every day. What Are they, so, are they quarrying let's limestone? let start the podcast... Yeah, so it's a, a quarry for limestone and uh, a concrete plant oh, in yeah. one facility. So uh, that's completely off topic. But I am going to kick it to Peter because today we are going to talk about sensitivity. Yes. Take us away, Peter. I'm out. This is all about getting in touch with our sticky selves. <laughs> Definitely out. <laughs> yeah. You probably don't need to know this, but that's Steve, the naysayer in the background, but... Probably after 10 episodes, you've got that all figured out. Yeah, so um, back when Steve developed all those thousand details for GreenBuildingAdvisor.com, part of it was that uh, NHB developed a two-day building science class based on the content from GreenBuilding Advisor. 
And I remember very clearly doing a two-day training at IBS, a bunch of builders and architects, and you know we're talking about how important durability is, and um, you know we're looking at Steve's details, talking about continuous control layers, and this guy in the back of the room raises his hand and he says, "Hey, if we're talking about you know 100 deer, 500 deer homes." And I'm looking at all these control layers that are buried deep into the wall assembly. How long does the stuff like the sealant and the pressure sensitive piece of tapes, how long do they last? How long do they stay sticky? Because you're talking about a 100 or a 500 year wall. And you know when somebody starts to talk and you get just that sinking feeling like you're going to get caught with your pants down. And the answer to his question was about how long these things last my response was, I have no frickin' idea. And so that started a bunch of work that I've been doing ever since, trying to figure out how sticky stuff works and um, taking a look at the tests that the manufacturers have to go ahead and test their, uh, their materials. And uh, boy, I got my head handed again because uh, first of all, um, most of the tests are ASTM and the manufacturers for either pressure sensitive adhesive tapes or liquid sealants, they've got like 50 different tests that they can invoke or use with their products. So that's one problem is they can sort of cherry pick the test that does well with their product. The second thing is um, if you look at all the standardized tests, the uh, substrate on which all of them depends is something we build out of every day acid wash polished stainless steel um right guys and why do we why do we think that that's the standard that astm started with just because it's a everybody gets the same thing then that that's a great question the idea is that back when the tests were first being developed somebody decided that this was a good one to use for all the tests and then to change it now you'd have to go back and change the substrate for either all or many of them and a lot of these tests did not start with construction sealants and construction pressure sensitive adhesive tapes so sometimes the tests are the victim of you know they were developing for packaging tapes or post-it notes Right. And so how that trains or adhesive to hold trim on the exterior of a pickup. Yeah, exactly. And so those tests get moved around from industry to industry and sometimes they fit really well and sometimes they don't. Um, and as John Straub likes to say, he thinks that ASTM stands for another stupid test method, you know, because yep. they're just not. And And so one of the things to note there is like. The code just says, hey, this thing needs to meet ASTM standard, blah, 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 blah. The code doesn't say this is the performance metric that we're going to measure by. And then what you're saying is the ASTM standard is not necessarily even devised for what we're using the adhesives for. Completely might not apply. Or the manufacturer can cherry pick one that shows that their tape works and that manufacturer might not be picking the right one. Exactly. And one of the classic ones is the weather-resistant barrier uh, standard. You know, in the code it says, 
Here's the list of tests that you can use to show that you comply with the weather resistive barrier attributes. But for instance, one of the most common one is ASTM D779, the boat test. And the boat test is when you take your material and shape it into a little boat, and then you set it very carefully on the surface of a, a, a pond of water, and then you take a drop of blue dye and you drop it into the boat. And you see how long it takes for that dye to, you know, go into the fabric of the material and then bleed out. That test, if you look it up, it says should not be used on anything longer than like 90 seconds. Because that test was originally done for uh, writing paper in terms of how ink sets into the paper and how, how durable it is in a certain period of time. So it was made for the paper and the pulp industry, but it got borrowed into construction. And so now we have this test, which is really sort of meaningless. That only has to last 90 seconds, as if the water's gonna be gone after 90 it, seconds. It says right in the standards, should not be used for test line under 90 seconds. And what are we doing? We're doing it for like 60 minutes, right? So yeah, this is what happens when you have standards that get barred or passed around from industry to industry, and it's just gonna wreak havoc. Okay, so from there, you decided that what we were just saying, that test standards are silly or, or don't necessarily apply. Yeah. Uh, silly is my word. Peter doesn't live in a world where the word silly is fun to use, so Peter probably doesn't use it as much as I do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so what, what next? You decided to start testing in your own methods. Yeah, so there was a guy in town who was the head of a structurally insulated panel plant. And he uh, needed a, a system to back up the structural insulated panel joints. He knew that if, if they moved over time and the sealant that they used at the panel joint ever cracked, he wanted a backup system. So he was looking for a pressure sensitive adhesive tape that he could put on the outside of the panel that would be the backup air barrier if the foam between the panels at the panel joint ever stressed and cracked. So he's trying to figure out the best pressure sensitive heats of tape to apply to the raw side of OSB. And so that's the other issue is that, you know, we apply these tapes and sealants to all kinds of different surfaces and some are pretty forgiving and some aren't. Um, and rough side OSB is a particularly difficult one to bond to. Um, so, you know, he's trying to figure out which of these tapes would be best and the ASTM standards weren't helping at all. So we decided, well, hey, let's just have at it on the weekend with, you know, alcohol involved and, and see what kind of results we can get. And we jokingly named it wing nut test. As most, as most adult males do, let's just test those adhesives in my backyard, but we can have a beer so that it's not weird. Well, yeah, I mean, and, you know, no, it's, it's weird. pro bono work. <laughs> with a beer, it's weird. <laughs> So anyway, that's how we got started on testing these tapes. And, um, you know, we started learning a lot, especially since the other part of the ASTM tests is that you have to temperature and moisture content stabilize all the materials. So for more than 24 hours, they have to be at exactly 50% relative humidity and exactly 70 degrees Fahrenheit. Because we all know job sites conditions are... Yeah, that's how we do it on the job site, clearly, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So we and we and go ahead. We, man, that's 
that's silly. That that really is stupid. I, I I get it. It's the same as testing a house at 50 pascals, and everybody has to do that because it, it standardizes something so that we can measure results against each other. But it's one of those things that uh, another stupid testing method where it doesn't apply to the real world, but they're, what is the real world? So, Well, and so we, we started to make up these tests and um, just to see what would happen. We, we weren't looking to standardize anything. We were just trying to get anecdotal result, results. Um, but then people started to take it a bit more seriously. And so when we started to work on the tests and hone them a bit more, we would send what we had made up to a, a variety of manufacturers to get their response, hoping that they would shut us down and say, you guys are just out of control, um, you're dangerous, and they would, they would do the testing themselves. Um, and what we got back surprisingly was, yeah, that test seems to make sense. Um, and I've got a whole series of blogs on Green Building Advisor about doing this testing. Um, but you know, surprisingly, or maybe not, the, our industry needs, you know, benchtop testing that mimics real conditions on the job site. Because um, the very first thing it says is that the, the, the surface has to be clean, um, has to be the right temperature, and it has to be dry. Well, there you go. How often are those the conditions when you are at the job site? Which even the manufacturers will say, well, the, the surface needs to be dust-free, it needs to be swept off, and it needs to be between X and Y for temperature, and you can't apply this tape in the, the rain or that adhesive in the rain, or, or that one's okay to be uh, applied as long as the water's not puddled. And there's that, that argument that the manufacturer's the one that has to stand by the warranty, so we, we have to listen on some level to what they say. But at the same time, even when the manufacturer expands it way beyond what the testing method is, it still doesn't fit all of our temperatures. We, in the summer, we're above temperature. In the winter, we're below temperature. And humidity is completely uncontrollable. We don't build in a vacuum, you know. Hey, Steve, do you remember when uh, Chris Makepeace did his presentation at, at summer camp for Building Science Corporation? Very vague, buddy. Your yeah, memory's he, better than mine. So he, he was a... Uh, building scientists from, I think, maybe even Saskatchewan in, in Canada. And um, he was the guy who developed the persist wall system, Jake. You know, the pressure equalized rain screen something system, um, which is essentially put all the insulation on the outside of the building, but wrap the building with uh, a membrane first. Um, so so okay. Chris was wrapping his buildings with, uh, with uh, ice and water shield. And, you know, they're in Saskatchewan, and he's having trouble with adhesion. And so one of his grad students says, you know, I, I, th I think we're supposed to use a primer when conditions aren't ideal. And Chris says, there's a primer for ice and water shield? And the guy says, I think so. <laughs> so Chris calls up the manufacturer and says, hey, um, we're using your, you know, tape, we're using your uh, membrane to cover the whole building. Um, and one of my guys says that you, you have a primer. And he says, oh, you don't need the primer. And the guy says, well, do you make a primer? He says, yeah. And you make it for the membrane? Yes. Well, when do you need it? Oh, you don't need the primer. Well, when do you use the primer? Oh, it's only when it's really cold or it's really wet or the substrates aren't clean. <laughs> and Chris says, <laughs> or, it's, I'm, or it's Saskatchewan, I, I, which is the same exactly. thing. Exactly. <laughs> what about Saskatchewan? The guy says, oh, you probably need a primer. 
So, <laughs> you know, that's part of the problem is that there was a system developed and, you know, the word just never got out to the building industry about the way that that stuff actually works. So that's another big part of this is when do you need a primer to better match up the substrate to the, um, to the, to the situation you're trying to do? I don't know. I, me, me personally, I think one, helpful. I, I think we're past or we're slowly migrating past the, the prerequisite of, of priming substrates for sticky stuff. And two, if I have to put a primer on to make sticky stuff work, then I trust it even less. So, yeah. You know what's interesting about that, Steve, is when I first started testing oh, the Oh, please tapes, tell me. I, I know you're at the edge of your seat there, but... Um, was uh, everybody said whenever you take a PSA tape on masonry, concrete, you absolutely need a primer. And I'll never forget, I was at Nessie one year, and there was a guy from Sega carrying a full-sized concrete masonry unit with the Sega Fentrim 60. Fentrim. Which yeah. is the which is the Sega PSA acrylic tape, where you can adhere directly to concrete and you don't need a primer. So Steve's right. We are definitely moving to, you know, make primers a thing of the past. And I I think I mean there there were just a couple jobs where way back when where we actually used primers. And if my recollection was correct, then if we thought tape was expensive, the primers were outrageously expensive. So to make expensive stuff work, you had to spe spend more money. Yeah, and it's a second trip, and yeah, it's no, I won't do it. I think I'm boycotting. For me, I'm officially builder, boycotting uh, primers. Just so you two know, that's my okay. position today. That'll be in the subtext of the podcast. I'm official Steve boycott. Boycotts primers, uh, and for me and my generation of builders, that you know we came to. Pressure sensitive. Peter adhesives. calls them the Lego group. I was pausing. Yeah. <laughs> the Lego group. The I, I came to pressure sensitive adhesives through zip tape and Sega Fentrum. And those are tapes that don't need primers. So the idea that I couldn't figure out a way to do it without a primer to me is foreign. I get that, you know, 10 years ago it was worse and there were more products that that had to have a primer to keep them from just peeling back off the wall. But now it's just like, uh, I don't know. We'll find a way around that. We'll, we'll find a different way to do that. So Steve, you know, I know you dismissed my wing nut testing, but you're a wing nut at heart. Tell us about your backyard testing. Well, I will never wear that silly hat. And I'm, I'm using silly here. Very, <laughs> uh, very loosely. Um, but yeah, I mean, so I do have my own um, backyard test. And uh, it, it stems from, you know, I was one of the early adopters of using ZipWall. And, oh, by the way, let's just not throw it on your normal house. It was the very first passive house that I ever did and one of the very first in New England. And, you know, Zip had just come on the market, and I wasn't sure of, hey, what what are we doing here? Are we we're we're actually going to rely on tape? And um, so what I did was I had the builder actually cut me a couple pieces of the zip, 
I literally taped it together on the job site and we rolled the tape. It was clean. The joints were wiped clean, everything. And the tape was actually applied with some pressure so that it, uh, it wetted successfully. And I threw it out on my wood pile. And, you know, if you follow me on Instagram, occasionally I throw an update out on there. Um, I've been meaning to think about doing just a live walkout on Instagram where we go out to the wood pile and check it out just to see so we can all see it. But, uh, but basically, you can go out to my wood pile right now look at it 10 we're closing in on 11th year and it was like it was taped yesterday you cannot that tape is aggressively bonded you'll pull the osb apart before you get the tape off that joint and so and and so you got new testing you're going to be working on too right and i have some new testing i was just at a project and i had um one of the framers he was uh, nice enough to take a sheet and cut it up into a bunch of 8 by 12 pieces. And I don't know, I have a dozen of them and I grabbed a roll of zip tape. But one of the things that I, w- I wanted to test personally, and th- these aren't official tests by any means. I can't apply an AT- ASTM unless we call it another Steve's test method. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> you know, these are just backyard tests. Cause I, I hate when people say, Oh, you can't trust the tape. Okay. Well, I have 11 year old tape sitting on my wood pile and keep in mind, it is on probably about a 30 degree angle, full exposure. When I say full exposure, I mean in the winter snow falls on it. The whole thing gets encased in ice, rain hits it, everything, which the wall would never see. And it would be vertical on the wall, but, uh, and UV protected. And UV protected. And so this this is fully exposed and it's performing that well. But yes, Peter, I'm, I'm going back out there. I have all these new pieces in the roll. And what I was going to do was put together maybe a half dozen new tests of all the kind of common mistakes, if you will. Right, so right. So we'll, we'll build, I'll build in a fish mouth that literally funnels water into the joint to see how it goes. I'll take one and I'll run a vertical piece and um, do the wrong or inverted ship lap to see if that joint does fail over time. And I'll just throw these, I'll have to uh, cut some more wood to make my wood pile a little bigger. But, uh, (laughs) but yeah, we'll throw these all out there and then I'll have, you know, six or seven of these tests just sitting out there. And the, the, the two green ones, that the original zip, I I would guarantee the the two pieces of zip are going to deteriorate beyond and just fall apart before the tape section falls apart. Yeah. It's just because I didn't tape the edges. So there is some edge swell. There's some delamination. But again, th- this is full exposure, ice and snow, UV. It's totally not protected. But that tape is and when you look at it you can see the the micro uh contouring of the the green film underneath the tape showing through the tape i mean it's it's fully bonded and it's extremely aggressive so and and jake that was one of the ideas was that you know the the moral of the testing that i did was hey look i you know I don't have money to do this. It's not statistically significant. We need a whole bunch of people out there doing wingnut tests so we can gather more information. And that's when I learned, for instance, that Walsh Construction out in uh, Seattle has a whole garage full of 
like there must be a thousand uh, test setups they've done for how different liquid sealants apply to different substrates. And the reason they did that was because, same reason, the ASTM tests are useless. So they set up their own testing wing nut sort of like for liquid sealants, which we also rely upon yeah. an awful lot. I mean, I get that question all the time. People message me, what's the best sealant for this? Or, hey, I found this acoustical sealant. What do you think? Well, what I think is you should squirt, you know, three 12-inch long beads of it down a, a sheet of zip wall and throw it out on your wood pile for a couple of weeks and go back to it and see if it's rock hard, if it hardened any, did it develop a skin? What does it look like? Did it fall off the zip? Is it still attached? Is it still aggressive? You you can get a lot of answers, you know, right right outside the yep. back door. Um, you know, I, I get annoyed when there's all these people, oh, you can't do that, or, or you know, nail holes and zip. It's like building a house too tight. Can we please just get over it? I, I built a whole house out of zip, covered over the windows, taped the joints, left the nails by themselves, took the house to, I don't know, probably like 120 Pascals, and we couldn't get the nail heads to bleed air. Never mind water. We couldn't get air to move through it. So let's get off of that. Um, so, Steve, the other thing is that in your spec or maybe your execution section, you tell builders, hey, look, you know, before you go applying this tape, wipe it down. You know, you, you set them up for success with how they need to apply the tape. How do you put that in your documentation? I, I mean, it's right in my wall section. I'll call out like R6 um, zip sheathing, all joints to be wiped clean, dried taped and then rolled so that's right on your drawing it's right there everywhere i have a zip comment i have the requirements for installation uh, with how many it. framers do you think actually read the whole wall section not many but i'm guessing that the the, the <laughs> quick naysayers are the ones that don't install it right you know in in the early days of zip i can remember going to a job site and guy saying oh man this tape doesn't stick and i look up and it's like did you just pull that zip out of the puddle? It's like got mud on it and it's wet. And you're trying to apply this tape on an inside corner and not, not for nothing, but a lot of guys will turn that job over to the least experienced guy on the yeah. job site. Yeah. Right. So it's like, okay, you're in charge of making sure the boat doesn't sink. So why don't we put the cheap new guy out there and let him run tape around the hull just to make sure that we can stay afloat on our trip? I mean, that's and, what we're doing. And, and that's the thing. You know, if you're going to use sticky stuff, we'll, we'll get it right. You know, I mean, it, it, there are ways to do it so that you don't need sticky stuff. But we, we left a lot of those techniques a long time ago. So if we're going to rely upon this stuff, you, you got to do it right. Because if you don't, then you do have... I mean, I carry a couple of the installation spatulas in my truck, and I can't tell you how many times I've gone out to a job site. And it's not zip. It's any time we use tape. Window yeah. installs, um, tape on top of uh, polyisofoam when we're wrapping houses with that. And I'll see where they didn't roll the tape or apply pressure. And I'll go grab my spatula, and I'll call the, the GC over and say, see this joint? And then I'll just pull the spatula across it once or twice. And it's amazing how it adheres to it. I said, that's how all the joints have to look. Yeah. And and you're right. I'm not I'm not knocking 
new new people getting into the trades. But if you're the GC and you're going to have, you know, one of the younger or new people on the job do it, then you have to pull them aside and do a wall with them and say, this is my expectations of how those joints should look. And this is what the whole house should look like when we're done. Well, we can talk about job site training. I was uh, I was in another state doing a consulting thing for training. another builder. Thanks. I was in another state doing a consulting gig for another builder, and I was talking with his framer about pressure-sensitive adhesives. It happened to be Zip. And uh, I said, well, here. And we just did the standard roll one piece, not roll the other piece, give them 30 minutes, and then peel them off and see what see which one's more difficult to pull off. And this gray-haired framer, who was doing a fantastic job on everything else, was like, okay, well, I didn't believe it before, but I actually do believe it now. Thanks for showing me that. And I was like, oh, this guy has way more experience in the industry than I do. He should have way more concern because this house is way bigger than the, most of the houses that I build. But he had already decided that even though they print on the tape, roll the tape, that it wasn't necessary. And it was just like... Oh, this was a real like eye opener for me that that I look at what the manufacturer says and I buy in and and think critically about it instead of just show up and do whatever I want and I forget that there's a large part of our industry that shows up and does whatever they did last week. You know, I'm I'm gonna go out on a limb and be pro manufacturer here, right? And, and I don't do this often. Ew. But for people to like so many of these people don't read instructions and and part of it is is the manufacturers have to make sure they get the right instructions out there but you you know you get the older guys like you were just talking about Jake that just they don't trust it or they don't believe it it's like zip got and I'm using them as an example but it could be any tape manufacturer right 3M develops a tape don't you think they have kind of thousands of hours in development of that tape they didn't kind of like whip it up on monday and put it on the shelves thursday saying hey we think this is going to stick right they have specs that say between these temperatures it should be applied and it should be rolled or or whatever squeegeed pressure applied um all of these things that you know at, at some point you have to understand the company's going on on a limb like zip and saying well we're going to warranty this product if you tape it the way we say you should tape it. So to me, that says, okay, you probably have thousands and thousands of hours, which I know they do in developing that tape. And they continue to develop it even further. Cause like anything, the minute you answer a question, all you've done is really develop t- 10 more questions, not really an answer. And so they keep pushing forward. Yep. Um, but, uh, but I, I, I always get a kick out of, kick out of that those kinds of conversations where oh i don't trust that tape okay i mean their thousand hours and millions of dollars of research means nothing because jerry says it doesn't really stick you know what's interesting about this is that um the importance of reading installation instructions i'm involved in two you know legal cases right now and once you peel back and decide that you're going to micro analyze what's happening on a building, the number of times you can find something as simple as they didn't follow the manufacturer's installation instructions, um, because- Can't walk more than five feet. Well, and you know, there's, when you do legal work, it's, um, 
did you follow the drawings? Did you comply with the code? Did you follow manufacturer's instructions? And then the weakest standard is what's the standard of care? You know, what's sort of the industry, uh, you know, unspoken or yeah. unwritten standard? But the number of times that you can find installations that don't follow manufacturers that come right with the material, it's a little scary. Um, and a lot of times that just gets right by the wayside, right? Because we have a lot of duplicative or backup systems. But, but once you get on the wrong side of a legal situation, then everything you did on that building is going to get microanalyzed. And uh, sadly, not following manufacturer's instructions is a, is a pretty common job site occurrence. Yeah, your, your brother Nathan, when we go do building investigations, he'd always say that. He said, the minute we walk in the door, you're done. Because we're going to find everything. Because yeah. there's no way a builder complies <laughs> to every With recommendation everything. and requirement. They just don't. And they have their own kind of faith-based details that they've developed over time that might be contrary to the way that window should get that installed. That may or may not work. Right. Too. And that may or may not work you know. that they've just never gotten caught <laughs> on it before. Right? And now they got caught on it. And, yeah, you're you're going down once you get you know we get called in to take a look at it okay to segue off of our uh negative industry rant that we all complain about when we normally talk to each other peter do you want to walk us through the wetting process before we wrap this up do you want to talk to us about how the heat adhesives actually work on the molecular level yeah well um it's really kind of interesting because we have these polymers you know they're just huge carbon chains that are the adhesive. And um, they're called pressure sensitive because when you apply force, that energy gets translated into mobilizing those huge uh, molecular chains. And when they liquefy- Makes them squishy. Makes them squishy, liquefies them, it's called wetting. They flow into the uh, irregularities of the substrate. Um, and interestingly, they're tiny little um, electrical charges. So the, the reason, you know, the difference between a chemical reaction and a physical reaction is that at the end of a physical reaction, the tape is still the tape and the substrate is still the substrate. They, they didn't chemically combine. They may be working together, but they're working at an, a level where they didn't change their composition. So those little electrical charges are looking for little electrical charges in the substrates. And this is kind of interesting because if you make a roll of tape without a, uh, a release paper, well, think about it. it, it It'll do it to itself. If, if, you, if you didn't pick a bond break material for the backer, then you would roll up the tape and you'd never be able to unroll it. So bond break materials are the ones that don't... Uh, create the same electrical charges to respond to the tiny electrical charges in the adhesive. That's what a bond break is. And so if you get really, really aggressive adhesive and you change your backer to a non-bond break, now you got to have a release paper, right? So, you know, a lot of companies are switching to um, tapes and adhesive that has release papers because it gives them more freedom for what they choose for a backer material. Um, but it's kind of cool because sometimes that uh, attraction of the small electrical charges 
um, when you peel the tape off, it gets released as light energy as opposed to just mechanical or temperature uh, energy. Um, and it's called triboluminescence, and you can actually take duct tape, certain types of it, go into a dark closet, and rip it apart real fast, and there'll be a blue spark. And that blue spark is the energy that you rolled into that is now being released, and it's being released as light energy. So these are all party tricks, man. You can get That's invited to a lot of places. very interesting. I did want to say uh, one thing quickly that about this testing. Um, I've been concerned that when we do single-piece membrane silpan flashings, you know, the ones, the stretchy ones, like uh, Huber's Zip Stretch Tape, uh, DuPont's Flex Wrap, and 475 Proclima's uh, Exto Seal, those are all single piece sill flashings that we that we stretch and bend in three planes and so at the mm -hmm. corner at the outside corner of the sheathing when you have to pull that like distort it to get it to adhere there's a tremendous amount of stress built into that corner way more than in the field yeah so i'm actually working with all three of those tapes right now to try to evaluate what stress we are introducing at those corners. You know, for instance, uh, Zip doesn't say how much you should stretch the stretch tape when you wrap a corner. Um, and that stuff stretches like crazy. So ideally what you'd want to do is only stretch it as much as you need to because the more you stretch, the more stress you place into the corner. So well, I, I think with all three of those too, Peter, is there is a definitive process that you need to adhere to to install them. So I personally installed a lot of windows and yeah. put those put those in. And what I always do when I am demonstrating that to in working with builders is we take the rough opening, I cut it, you know, roughly 8 to 12 inches longer than the sill length so I can turn it up the edges. But I fold it in half and put a mark at the midway point, and I have a midway point marked on the sill. Yep. So I align those. I start at the sill, and I take it all the way into the corners of the sill and jam. Yep. And then I bed it into the back dam, and then I stretch it. So I never stretch it first because then you're trying to yep. fit it into that back corner of the back dam and trying to get the corner of the sill and jam thinned it out and you've already thinned too. it out and now you're trying to take something that's you know 60 percent of what it was and make it even thinner so yeah and and like you said then you fold it over the corner and i i i mean i try and look for like an inch and a half bite i'm not saying you have to get four inches just fold it over the corner make the water turn the corner and I mean, we've we've done some, and I've actually you know posted pictures on Stephen Basic Architect on Instagram, but where it literally looks like you know kind of a furniture type installation where it's so tight, yeah, and they're against it. But it's it's you know the order in which you stretch it, I think, plays a major role, and how you apply that stress that you're talking about. Well, and you know. Uh, Huber in particular is concerned about how well you form to the inside of the corner between the the sill uh, the sill framing and the jam framing because when the window unit gets placed, if there's any if it's not tight to that corner, it's going to get it's going to get cut. 
or it's going to get yeah. violated. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's why Speech you should work. go all the way into that corner before you even apply it to the jam. Exactly. Right. Yep. yep. But again, you know, there's there's great instructions. Each of the manufacturers I just mentioned, Dupont, uh, Huber, and um, Proclima, have great installation videos that show, you know, how you should apply it. But the real question is, you know, is the stress that we're introducing on that outside face of the sheathing, you know, how long does that last because of that extra bend and stress that we're placing in there? So here, I'm going to quiz you guys. I mean, we're, we're all familiar with, with Zip. Do you think if I, if I um, correctly tape Zip and, and do a, a correct sill flashing there with stretch tape, do you think it lasts 50 years? Do I? Yeah. To each of uh, us. Yeah, to each of you. There's yeah. a there's a quiz. Pay attention. I'm gonna go first. I think I'm gonna say probably not. Uh but neither is the window. So well, we no, have no no no, I don't want clarifiers from you. I just if I go if I have a green <laughs> box, okay, here we go, we gotta play these games. I go out in my yard and I build an eight foot by eight foot by eight foot tall green box. I put a shingled roof on it and I tape the vertical joints with zip tape. And then I put a clapboard rain screen over it. When I come back in 50 years, does that tape look like the day it was installed? Does it look slightly degraded in your opinion? Or did it fail sometime long before the 50 years? I think it'll show a little, uh, I think the seam tape specifically for them is going to show a little bit of age uh, just because of the um, temperatures that it's exposed to and the, the, the temperature cycle that it's exposed to. But I think the seam tape would still be sticking. I would be most concerned in an assembly with the tapes like we were just talking about, the, the stretched and, and stressed. Something that has a memory. Tape. That's how, that's yeah. how Joe has always taught me to yeah. speak about it. Yep. Something that has a memory that when you stretch it, it wants to return to its original size or yeah. close to it. So, so Peter, question to you. 8 by 8 by 8 green box. Yeah. I tape it 50 years later. So you also said rain screen cladding? Yeah. Okay. To, to, me, to me, that's the key. So two things about a rain screen cladding is that it takes a lot of stress off of the system because the space between the sheathing and the backside of the cladding uh, allows that to equilibrate. You don't get temperatures that are quite as high. Also, if you're doing furring strips to get that rain screen, then you can place those so that they're mechanically trapping the, uh, the tapes to help support the chemical bond. So I think some of this is gonna depend on if at the highest stressed area, do you have mechanical trapping? And it turns out that when you do a rain screen, you almost always have that stretched corner of the single piece membrane trapped by a furring strip around the window. Yep. Okay. So you guys, you guys always bring these clarifiers on me. So let me clarify further. Let's take the rain screen out of it. Let's build an eight by eight box. We'll put asphalt roof shingles on it and tape the joints and leave the joints 100% fully exposed. How many years do you give it, Peter? Before you see water intrusion on the inside where the tape has failed. I don't know. No, I'm asking what's your, uh, your professional building science opinion? 
Um, the only time I've kept track of sticky stuff empirically is on my own house, and I currently have a 20-year proving cycle. So I would say at least 20 years, because that's all that I've seen in my own study. So if I ask myself the question, I would say probably I would give it 30 or 40 years. I'd put money down on that. But after that, I probably would say it might work, but I wouldn't put money on it. But 30 or 40 years, most definitely. I, I have those two little pieces at 10, 11 years, and it's great. That's going to last, a, you know, that's easily going to last another 20 years. And all of this gets uh, tempered by the idea that we are promoting maintenance and we are promoting that uh, things will get upgraded in the houses. So in the next 50 years, it's more than likely that the siding will be replaced and we'll have access to those things and the windows will be replaced and we'll have access to those things. And I'm not sure if I see very many occasions where, I mean, I guess depending on your assembly, I could see it, where your adhesive is completely unattended to for 500 years. Yeah, I mean, the 500-year house, I'd, I've written about that before. I don't quite buy into it because, I mean, the oldest house... It's a great PR term. Well, it is. But I've the oldest house that I've ever worked on, the original house was built in 1690, was the oldest house. And it's probably one of the older houses that I know in New England. There might be a yeah. handful that are older. No, but probably not. That's, there there yeah. aren't many as old as that. And... So when you're talking, and, and what are we talking there? That's 310 years, three, 330 years, sorry, 330 years. So that's not, you know, that's 60% of the way or 65% of the way of a 500-year house. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you, you, you're going to touch it long before that time is up. I guess what I was trying to get to with my little quiz to you two was, like, just a, a way of uh, extracting a professional opinion about, do we trust tape, right? I mean, I do, and like you said, Peter, I, I trust tape, but I trust it more when I put a rain screen on it. And I trust it even more when the one by 3 furring strips go over the stretch tape mm -hmm. and attach it. So, you know, that, that redundancy yep. is super, yep. super helpful. When we challenge our assemblies less. Yes. And, and what we do know is if you don't put it on right, it's not even good for two years. So if you're well, going to bury the all these details, gosh darn it, do it right. <clears throat> that's the, uh, I think it's Steve that says this, you know, what is the, we'll take it to this, what's the best pressure sensitive adhesive? The one that was installed properly. Yeah, I mean, we've never, right, Peter, we, we always talk about this. We've, we've never done a building investigation that, that uh, was because things were successful, right? They failed, and they didn't fail because of the material 99% of the time. It was a, a decent material, and it was installed wrong. And that baffles, you know, all right. And I see, now you guys got me rolling. I was sleeping for the first 15 minutes here. Um, but really? now you guys got me rolling. Yeah. But the, the thing that's even more aggravating, when you do a building investigation, like if I pull up and you're using a piece of, crap house wrap and it isn't even taped and it's very lackadaisically stapled and it fails then I actually i feel good because all right that that was designed for failure 
But if someone's going out and, and buying zip wall or some other good wall sheathing or, or buying polyiso foam and then taping it and they're buying a really good grade tape or you're using zip tape or you're using Exto Seal or Sega product and then you don't install it right. Right? I mean, what are you doing? You spent all of that money buying the best products available and then you fail to acknowledge good execution. And if you don't know the answer of how to install a window properly or how to flash a wall or a deck ledger, there's tons of information out there and people that you can reach out to to find those answers. It's not, it, it, it's not an impossible task to uh to to get there but please don't don't buy expensive materials and not understand how to use them right that's that's criminal to me that's a good place to to call it yeah we started out very silly and now steve (laughs) has got us incredibly serious yeah thanks well that's i I take it to that next intellectual level yeah yeah that's that's what i was thinking on that note (laughs) We'll leave you until the next episode to ponder that statement from Steve. Thank you guys for uh, joining me today. Oh, you're welcome, Jake. Always a pleasure, buddies. <laughs> until next time, this is the Unbuild It Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. I wanted to add a couple uh, housekeeping items to the end of this podcast. Number one, September 16th, 2020. Steve Basic and I will be uh, conducting a one-day seminar in Kansas City, Missouri with the Kansas City BS and Beer Group. It's called the Midwest Building Science Symposium. It is a live event. Uh, We will be social distancing and wearing masks, but it is also a free event. Uh, And I believe that that's including uh, Boulevard Breweries uh, beer as well. So, it should be a great day of building science, talking about control layers, constructability, durable design, all around good information sharing. Uh, go to KC or bsandbeerkc.org to sign up for that event. I would also like to point out, if you would like to get a hold of us, if you would like to ask a question, you can email the three of us, uh, questions at unbuilditpodcast.com or direct messages through our Instagram account. And if you contact us through either one of those avenues, and you also provide us with your address, and you say, I would like one of those cool Unbuild It podcast stickers, we will mail you a handful of stickers. We're trying to spread the word about this podcast, and our uh, our idea here is podcasts aren't spread through paid advertising campaigns they are spread through word of mouth because people care about the content and so we want you to share a sticker uh, share the podcast with a friend share it on instagram help us spread the word spread the word and continue to grow the podcast so until next time questions midwest symposium on building science and stickers if you want them Thanks for listening.